are in our final message in the series in Galatians today. And so uh, quickly, I would like to review this letter um, and remember what this letter was about, that Paul is writing to um, multiple churches in the region of Galatia, and he is writing to them, urging them to remember the gospel of grace. He is urging them um, to not divert from the gospel that they originally believed in. Um, that it was grace that saved you, Paul says, um, not the law. Uh, it wasn't the law that saved you, so why are you continuing to live by the law? That there are these Judaizers, as we talked about, these um, Jewish um, believers, uh, Christians, who are saying that, uh, yes, we understand what Jesus has done, but let's add the law on top of it. So uh, we know that you aren't actually Jewish, um, and we know that Jesus has saved you, uh, but you need to be circumcised. And Paul is saying, um, nothing that you can do can save you. Nothing that you can bring to the table will bring you salvation. Um, and it is under the law that we actually find death. But in the gospel of grace, there is life that the law, under the law, we are slaves to the law, the slaves to the 613 rules that they were to follow. But under grace, we are called sons, sons of the promise of Abraham. And that under the law, we are captives to what the law puts on us. But under grace, we have freedom. That under the law, you operate in the power of the flesh but under grace you operate in the power of the Spirit. And so this whole book has been about walking in the freedom of grace. Church, walk in the freedom of the grace that you have only found in Jesus. That there is freedom in the Spirit of God. Not freedom to do whatever we want to do, right? There's not freedom to live in sin and to live in debauchery and to live however you think that you should be able to live. There's not freedom to do that, but there's freedom to live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is freedom to live in a way that we could not without the Spirit. That this way that we want to live, we want to live in the Spirit, we want to live in these good ways, we want to be kind and loving and gracious to people, and we can't do that under the law. We can't do that without the Spirit. So, in grace, in the Spirit, there is freedom to love, to have peace, to be kind. And Paul is concluding this letter to the Galatians um, in chapter 6. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And, and chapter 6 is really broken up into two parts. So the first part is uh, how, if we are to live by the Spirit, right? We don't want to live by the flesh, not the flesh over here. We want to live by the Spirit over here. And Paul says, so don't be envious and don't be drunken and don't... Um, live in debauchery and division and discord. Don't do that. That's of the flesh. But live in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All these things that we talked about last week, right? So if we are to do that, if we are to live in the Spirit, what does that mean for us in the world around us, for our lives? What does that mean? So we're going to get some practical applications in the first part of chapter 6. And then in the second part, Paul gives his final words to the Galatian people. And so it's kind of his final send-off, his um, theme that he stamps on the end of this letter. And so we're going to be in the entire chapter of 6 today. So 
Let's go ahead and get started in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If anyone is caught. So this word caught here uh, means to be caught up in or to be trapped in, to be stuck in. It, it doesn't necessarily mean to be caught in the act, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean that you were found out in your sin, that in the middle of your sin, somebody caught you. That's not what it's talking about here, but it means if you get tripped up in. Think about like a briar's bush or a thorn bush that you can get caught in sin. And so Paul is saying here that, hey, I know I just told you, don't live in the flesh, live in the spirit. And what does he immediately say next? But if anyone does sin, if anyone does fall into the flesh, because he knows that it's so easy for us to do. That Paul realizes that each one of us, as much as we try to live in the Spirit, there will be times, there will be days where we get caught up in sin. That we get tripped up in sin. And so Paul is telling them, hey, you're not going to be perfect. Not everyone in your life around you is going to be perfect. Amen. <laughs> it's a lot easier to see that other people aren't perfect, isn't it? But when one does get stuck in sin, when someone falls into temptation or transgressions, what does Paul say? It says, those who live by the Spirit should restore him. So when one falls, we come as believers and we should restore him with gentleness. That gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? The goal is not to shame or embarrass or come heavy-handed against a brother or sister who sins. But Paul is saying with gentleness we should come to that brother or sister who has sinned, who has fallen into temptation, and we should restore them into the fold. We should restore them into the gospel of grace that they are falling into flesh. We should restore them into the Spirit with gentleness. And that's our first point. If you live in grace, you show grace to others. If you are a person who is a recipient, a product of grace, how can you live any other way than show grace to other people in your life? Throughout this book, Paul has been writing about these Judaizers. He's been writing about these people who have not shown grace. That they are saying, yes, we believe in what Jesus has done on the cross for our sins. We believe that through Jesus, through this Messiah, we can find salvation. But they don't show grace or mercy or love to anyone else. How hypocritical. Paul is saying we are not under the law. And because we aren't under the law, perfection was never expected of you. Perfection was never expected. That There were 613 rules under the law and perfection was expected. But as we've talked about over and over again in this book of Galatians, we are not under the law. We are under grace. And what is the point of grace if we're perfect? Nobody here needs grace if you're perfect. That you don't need Jesus. You don't need the cross if you are perfect. So if we are a product of grace and we're living under grace, it's because we need it. It's because we are going to fail and we're not perfect. How hypocritical would it be for us to accept grace for our lives, for our sins, and not show that same grace to others when they fall? Remember where we came from. Grace, with gentleness, we restore others who sin. 
but realize this is for those who are repentant. This is for those who are seeking forgiveness, who are sorrowful for their sins. Um, Sometimes there are people who live in sin and they want to live in sin and they don't regret the fact that they are living in sin. And so what you need for them is not gentleness. That, that they need a sturdy, heavy hand. That they, they need sharpness and rebuke of their sin. Right? That for those who are living in sin continuously, they are not sorrowful. They don't believe that they are living in sin. We rebuke that sin with sharpness. That's what we see in other parts of the Bible. But gentleness is reserved for the brother or sister who is sorrowful, who is repentant of their sin. So Paul has been pretty harsh um, throughout this letter, right? There's been a few times we've talked about his tone, that he has a parental tone, maybe sounds a little angry um, towards the Galatian people. Um, But here he is calling for gentleness. Well, why is that? Why is he um, being harsh at some points and he's being gentle with the sin at other points? Well, It's because those are two different issues. He is being harsh when they are trying to distort the gospel, but he is being gentle when it comes to sin. Martin Luther um, writes in his commentary on the epistle to the Galatians. He says, As unyielding as the Holy Spirit is in the matter of maintaining and defending the doctrine of faith, so mild and merciful is he toward men for their sins as long as sinners repent. I think that's so beautiful that the Holy Spirit, which is so fierce and so strong against distorting the gospel, the gospel of faith, the doctrine that we believe in, he is fierce, but he is mild and merciful to us when we fall. That our Lord is gentle with us when we fall. That he is loving and kind like a father with a child, taking his first steps. And when that child falls, that father is not mad at that child. That father says, get back up. The father restores him. The spirit of God restores. And so we should do the same thing when we see a brother or sister sin. So let's continue. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we are to look out for ourselves as well. That we can't just focus on other people's sins because guess what? Their sin today might be our sin tomorrow. That if we are not keeping watch for ourselves, then we can fall into the same sin that they fell into. That we can't just focus on other sins, but we need to realize that we may be next. Paul warns them against um, looking at other people, and he tells them to self-inspect. He tells them, uh, with humility, you should look at yourself. You should protect yourself. Put on the armor of God for yourself. Because even though... They sin today, you may sin tomorrow. And so when we think about that, we have to have humility, right? When we think about the fact that we are just as susceptible to sin as our brother or our sister, we have to have humility. There's no pride that can be built up because as soon as we are prideful, we sin and we fall into it. And if we are not there, as it says, to bear one another's burdens with one another, when we fall, we will have nobody to lift us up. If you are so prideful not to help your brother when they fall and not to bear the burden with them, who are you going to have when you fall as well? But we bear one another's burdens, and it says that we fulfill the law of Christ. 
What does it mean to fulfill the law of Christ? Well, when Peter preached a couple weeks ago in chapter 5 of Galatians, it says that the law of Christ is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we bear one another's burden, when we come along together as a church, when one falls and we have church members who pick that person up, when somebody else falls, we are there to pick that person up and encourage them with grace and with gentleness. We are loving our neighbor as ourselves. We are living out, fulfilling the law of Christ. Verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So these, vo- these verses focus on our humility, that we should not compare ourselves to others. That we can't look at others and say, you know what, I've never done that. I haven't struggled with that in my entire life. I used to struggle with that, but I, I overcame. I did it. We, we look at others and build ourselves up with pride. We forget that we are products of grace. All of us. That all of us have been shown grace. That all of us um, are only saved through Jesus and what he has done. And so, yeah, you might not be struggling with that sin right now, but guess what? You may. And looking down on somebody else doesn't lift you up. Not at all. But the only thing that we can boast in is that we have been shown grace. When we look at our lives, when we look at ourselves and don't focus on other people, what we should see is we should see where we once were and where we are now. And the only thing that made us here from here is Jesus. That we did not work on ourselves to get us to be where we are. That we are not in this place without sin. We are not in this place of righteousness because of our own doing. But it is Jesus. And so when we look at ourselves and we look at our lives and we are only accountable to ourselves and our sins when we stand before the Father, we see that Jesus is the reason that we are where we are. And that Jesus is the thing that we can boast in, not in ourselves Last month, uh, Laura, my wife, and I went to Top Golf. And if you don't know what Top Golf is, it's a place where you play golf for people who don't play golf. Um, it's basically a really expensive driving range. Um, and so it's like three stories high, and like there's, we were on the third story, and um, we're going. And I'm not good at golf. Um, main reason I'm not good at golf is because I don't want to have to search for my ball um, all day. Um, and so we we go and. And I'm just, I'm swinging for the fences, right? I'm just cranking as hard as I can, trying to hit that back fence because we're in a competition and you get points at Top Golf, or depending on where you hit it. And I'm going for that back fence. I'm trying to get 20 points every single shot. And uh, every single shot, my ball's slicing straight to the, the wall over here, right? Straight to the net on the side of the building. And so I just keep swinging as hard as I can. A couple times, I think I missed, but I swung so hard that the wind knocked my ball off of the tee and it just rolled over the edge down. And, I, and I'm sure the person below me is just like, man, good shot, guys. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so that just kept, I'm not a golfer, right? I, I'm not good at it. I'm pretty terrible. Um, if I'm not slicing it, I'm hooking it. And, uh, but actually on this day, after about 30 minutes of playing, I just found it. I don't know how, but I found it. And so 
before I'm hitting and I'm slicing it, I'm hitting it and the ball's rolling over the edge and I'm looking around to make sure people aren't seeing this, right? But at this point, I'm just swinging and it's just going straight as could be. I'm not kidding. My wife can tell, she brags on me all the time. She's never talked about this in her life. I heard her telling our neighbors, no, she didn't, but this did happen. Um, And so I'm hitting it and it's going straight. And and there's this group of elderly men in the bay next to us. And they're like, man, you've hit that cart. Because, you know, the little guy who drives around, picks up the balls. Uh, I hit him like three times in a row and they're like bragging on me. And then all of a sudden what I'm doing is I'm seeing these other people hit the ball and it slices towards the net. And I'm like, I could teach them a thing or two, (laughs) right? And then I see somebody else, maybe it was my wife, maybe it wasn't, the ball just kind of rolls over the edge, and I'm like, well, hey, come here, let me show you how to do this, right? What happened? I started to get prideful. It's like I completely forgot where I just was. It's like I completely forgot that 30 minutes before I hit a ball two and a half feet, and now I'm hitting it 200 feet or yards or whatever, I don't know, golf, and... I'm getting all excited and prideful because pride is so natural for us. And so I begin to look down on these other people and hype up myself, even though I was just there. And I guarantee you, if I go to Topgolf today, I'm going to be right back there. I think the only reason that the Lord allowed me to hit those balls that good is so I could tell this story right now. (laughs) That it is so natural for us to be prideful. It's so natural for us to see other people and how they are sinning and think, you know what? I might not be great, but I'm better than him. And one day if you get up to heaven and you're standing before God and you say, you know what? I was better than him. I don't think that's going to be a sufficient answer. So, We are accountable to our sins alone. We are accountable to our lives alone, not to look on other people, not to compare ourselves, but we share the burden. We help one another up when one falls. Verse six, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Amen. That's you and I'm teaching. So share all good things with me. So if you send an email or a complaint, as Chris talked about earlier, before you write that complaint, remember, is that all good things or is that a bad thing? (laughs) This is a joke. (laughs) Paul is encouraging the people in Galatians to provide for the one who teaches the gospel but not for Paul's own sake, but Paul is encouraging them to provide for those who teach the gospel so that the gospel teaching is made possible. That in this time, when Paul is traveling to all his different locations around the world, he is not doing that on his own dime, but people are supporting him, people are helping him, and he is being sent, he is being provided for by these churches. These churches are, are giving their money to help see the gospel expanded in the world. And Paul is encouraging them to continue that. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We are to provide good things for those who teach the words of God. If you invest in the flesh, you will receive corruption in return. But if you invest in things of the Spirit, you receive eternal life. You receive eternal life rewards. 
And so we see that this is actually expanded not just to the teachers of God's word, but it's expanded to giving to things of God, to giving to spiritual things. So our second point is invest your life in kingdom causes. Are you investing in your own desires, in your own purposes, in your own wants and needs, or are you investing in the work of God? Because to give things, or to give to things of the Spirit, you receive a much greater reward. But I know it's a lot easier to give our time, our energy, our finances, our resources to things that we want to do. And for some of us, Maybe the majority of our time is spent on the flesh. And these things might be good, but do they have a kingdom reward? Do you invest your time, your energy, your resources into your career, hoping to get that next promotion, hoping to get that um, next job title, hoping to get the next car or house or boat, or RV? Are you investing your time into video games and spending time playing games instead of being with your family and investing in your family? Are you investing in your golf swing? Are you investing in a round of golf and your hobbies and things that you love to spend your time doing? Are you investing in your vacations or your retirement? Listen, I understand if you're retired that you want to enjoy your retirement, but God did not sign you up for however many years of work so that you can then coast to the end. That God has a plan and a purpose, and God wants you to invest your time no matter what age you are. He wants you to invest your time, your money, your energy into things that are going to have a kingdom return into things that are going to see him move in your life and in the lives of those around you? Are you investing in your own spiritual walk? When's the last time you sat down and read your Bible? When's the last time you have invested your time into praying for those in your life? When is the last time you have invested in your wife or your children's spiritual walk? Are you investing in the lives of those people around you with the gospel? Because when we invest our time and our energy into things of the flesh, you know what we get in return? Corruption. We get nothing but bad things. But when we invest our hope and our time into the Spirit, into the things of God, you'll be amazed at how God works, at how God surprises you with what little you can bring and how He can work that for His good. Verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Continue to do good. Continue to be generous. To con Continue to serve others and provide for others. And you will reap good things. Sometimes it's a lot harder to invest our time into things that we can't see. It's easy to see a jet ski. It's hard to see how God is moving in the lives of your neighbors and your family. 
but in due time we will reap good things. Persevere in doing these things to all people, but especially to who? To those in the house of faith. That our first responsibility of who we need to love is our church. It's the local body. It's the local congregation. That's why in the book of Acts, people were so excited to be part of a church because the way that they loved each other, the way that they cared about each other, they provided for one another. And as they did that, people saw that love and wanted to be a part of it. So for us, we focus our love to all people, yes, to homeless people that we see on the street, to a child across the world. We supply and we love them as much as we can, but we start here. We start with our local body, and when we love one another, in so doing, we are displaying the love of Christ. So let's move on to Paul's concluding paragraph. We don't have much more. So here he kind of wraps up the themes of the letter of Galatians. Verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And so Paul um, is writing at least this portion of the letter um, himself with his own hands. Um, a lot of times what they would do is they would dictate the, the rest of the letter and then they would sign off in their own writing so that they know it's important. Um, and he says, see with what large letters. Has anybody ever received a text or email in all caps? Um, whoo, you take that thing seriously. So take this seriously as well. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they, are des but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. These Judaizers are looking to build themselves up on the pedestal of others. They are looking to boast in themselves because of what they can get these Gentile people to do. That if we can get them to operate and look like Jews, then we build ourselves up. Look how great of Jews we are. That not only are we Christians, but we can also get these people to act like Jews. And Paul is saying they don't love you. They don't care about you. They don't want your best interest in mind. They don't even keep the law, but they are prideful and they are boasting in the flesh. And Paul is one final time warning them against these false teachers. Verse 14, but far be it from me, but God forbid that I boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul boasts alone in the cross of Jesus. That this is a shocking statement. That it wasn't even polite for people to use the word cross in formal writing. That it wasn't a pleasant word. That it was actually the most disgusting, deplorable death that anyone could live and or that anyone could go through. And Paul is using it not only in formal writing, but he's boasting in it. He's using it in a positive manner that he is saying the cross, the cross of Jesus, the most deplorable, nasty thing that we do as a society. Yeah, that's where I boast. That's where I live. That's where my identity is. And Paul is boasting of what Christ did on his behalf. Paul is boasting that Christ's blood was shed for Paul and for Paul's sins. And Paul is saying, at the cross, I rejoice because that's where I find my identity in the, Christ, in the cross of 
Jesus. Because at the cross is where I was crucified to the world and the world was crucified to me. And the same is true for us. Our values, our mission, our purpose is found in Christ alone, not in the world, not in the flesh, not in what we want for our lives, but our identity, our values are found at the cross. Because at the cross, we are dead to the world and the world is dead to us. No longer do we say that we seek after the things of this world. No longer do we seek after this promotion. No longer do we seek after these material things. But what we seek after is the cross of Jesus, which means that we are crucified. We are crucified to the world and the world is crucified to us. We cut off our ties with the world. I boast only in the cross of Christ Jesus. So circumcision, it's neither here nor there. It doesn't matter. Circumcision is not the point, but what does matter is that we are a new creation. Our third point, our last point, that we are a new creation, that we are defined not by circumcision, not by any good work that we can do. We're not defined by our job status. We're not defined by being parents or children or a brother or a sister or a student or a teacher. We're not defined by what anyone could say about us. We're not defined by the persona that we create for ourselves. We're defined by the cross of Jesus. You're not defined by your past you're not defined by your mistakes. You're not defined by how good of a person you can be. You're defined by a cross, by a weapon used to kill. That's how you're defined. Because on the cross of Jesus, we were given life. We were made new. Our sins were forgiven. Our past was forgiven. Our present, our sins today are forgiven. And we are new creations by the work of Jesus. And we are new creations by the work of the Holy Spirit imputing upon us the fruit of the Spirit. That the Spirit imputes on us the same Spirit that Christ Jesus had. So that's how we're a new creation. So we reject the flesh, we reject the world that we live in, and we live in the freedom of the new creation in Christ. Paul finishes in verse 16 through 18. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Peace and mercy to those who are walking in the Spirit, living as Christ has called them to live. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, that Paul had marks, scars, um, he had um, ailments from all the times that he suffered for the sake of the gospel. The marks of Jesus, the marks of the cross and the beating that Jesus took on our behalf. Paul says, I'm loyal to what I'm talking about. He can't be questioned. Real quick, what are the marks on your life? 
They don't have to be physical scars, but what are the marks of your life? Are they the marks of the world? Or are they the marks of Christ Jesus? Do you look more like the people that you go to work with, or do you look like the King of kings and the Lord of lords in humility who came and served and loved others? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The gospel of grace is what defines us as believers. That we are products of grace, that not by our own doing, but the gift of grace found only at the cross. That is what we have to boast in. And that is what Paul has been talking about through this entire book of Galatians, that we are a new creation called to walk in the spirit, putting to death the flesh, putting to death the world in our lives, that we no longer subscribe to the values of the world, that we no longer subscribe to the, the systems and the material things of this world. But we subscribe to the values of Christ. We subscribe to eternal things, to heavenly things, to righteousness. We are a new creation that we were once slaves to our sin, that we were once dead in our sins. We were slaves to the law, but now we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by the grace of Jesus, church. Any other thing, any other thing is going to fail you. If we were saved by grace, let us also live by grace. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I, uh, I thank you so much for this book, for this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian people. I thank you that, God, it applies to us, that your word stays true so many years later. God, that you, um, your spirit is alive and working through these words. I pray that your word would go out and not return void. I pray that those in this room um, would open their hearts, their minds to what you spoke today. Or for those who are um, trusting in their own abilities, they're trusting in their own righteousness, I pray against that. I pray that they would submit to your grace, they would submit to the cross, that they would bow themselves at your feet and give their life to you. And if you do that today. I, I pray that you would either speak to me afterwards. I pray that you would mark it on your connect card as you turn it into the back. Um, this decision is um, it's scary, but I pray for boldness. I pray for um, you to trust the spirit that is moving right now. Lord, I pray for the believers in this room that we would carry each other's burdens, that we would be a church that loves our neighbor as ourselves, that we would lift one another up when we fall, and that we would live in the grace of the cross, that we would live as people of the cross, a new creation that is not defined how we once were, but is now defined by you, King Jesus. So Lord, we give ourselves to you. And I pray during this time that we could just worship you because you are so loving, so deserving, so wonderful, God. 
and it is your name that we pray. Amen.